Hey, everybody, and welcome. I'm glad you're joining us for the fourth lesson in this series called Little Known Women of the Bible. We have been introduced to several women that we have learned to admire, and we're trying to learn how to be more like them in their devotion to God. We've learned about the midwives, Shifra and Pua. Abigail, who was married to a fool. And last week we learned about Jehoshaphat, who saved a young prince from death. And in doing so, she preserved the line of David. Now that prince was Joash, and his reign began when he was eight years old, and it lasted for 41 years. Well, this week we're going to fast forward nearly 200 years, and seven kings later, and we're going to learn of a woman named Huldah. Huldah lived during the reign of another king of Judah. His name was Josiah. He was the 16th king, and he also was only eight years old when he became king. It was after his father, Amon, uh, was slain. Well, at first he was too young to rule over the land, and the princes of his court governed in his name. But the Bible tells us in the eighth year of his reign that Josiah began to seek the Lord. So as he grew and he became a teenager, he began to seek God's ways. Well, in his seeking, he set about restoring the house of the Lord. And he served the Lord more fully than either any of the kings who had gone before him. He ended up ruling for 31 years. So let's take a look at his story and the role that Huldah played in it. One day when Josiah was about 20 years old, Hilkiah, a priest in charge of the temple renovation, found on the temple floor a scroll with God's laws written on it. This was the long-forgotten book of laws. It, it could have been the entire Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, or it could have been the book of De Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, we're not sure, but it was scripture that was found. Hilkiah told the king's secretary, Shaphan, that he had found this book and gave it to him. Well, Shaphan read the book and proceeded to tell the king, Josiah, all that had happened. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. Well, tearing the robes was a sign of great sorrow and despair. He realized that Judah had not been following God's word, and he was filled with grief and sadness. See, it had been nearly 60 years since the law had been read. Imagine, it had been lost for 60 years, and he grieved when he realized he, as the nation's leader, had not been fulfilling the commandments of the Lord. Let's think about that for a minute. We have God's Word at our fingertips. We have Bibles in our home. We have in our hands, we have a phone or any kind of uh, computer or iPad or any device like that. We can read the Bible anytime we choose. But has its use disappeared from our life also? We read and we study God's book of instruction. We know what it teaches. But how committed are we to take action to obey it? We're going to see that Josiah 
what not only read it, but he was committed to taking action to live the way that the Bible taught. There was a poll published in May of this year by the Cultural Research Center, and it, it found this, that only 6% of all the respondents, that would be 2,000 2, people, were holding on to and believing a biblical worldview. In the survey, 51% of the respondents polled stated that they had a biblical worldview, but they found that there were really significant contradictions between what the people thought and what the Bible actually teaches. Wow, you know, it boils down to this. Do we really know what the Bible says? That's what happened in Judah. They went 60 years without truly reading it and knowing what it said. The next question is, do we do what the Bible says? Are we both hearers of and doers of the word? We're going to see that Huldah and Josiah chose a biblical worldview. They chose to know what the Bible said and do what the Bible said. Let's dig into their story. And we're looking at 2 Kings chapter 22. We will begin with verse 11. When the king heard what was written in the book, God's Revelation, he ripped his robes in dismay. And then he called for Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam son of Shaphan, Akbor son of Micaiah, Shaphan the royal secretary, and Asiah the king's personal aide. He ordered them all, go and pray to God for me and for this people, for all Judah. Find out what we must do in response to what is written in this book that has just been found. God's anger must be burning furiously against us. Our ancestors haven't obeyed a thing written in this book, followed none of the instructions directed to us. Look at verse 14, Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Isaiah went straight to Huldah the prophetess. She was the wife of Shalom, son of Tikvah, who was in charge of the palace wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. The five men consulted with her. So Josiah sent these five men out to find some instructions to figure out uh, what was the meaning of the instructions in this book. And so these men went straight to Huldah the prophetess. They knew who to ask. She was their first call, we say. Do you have someone in your life like that, your first call? That used to be my dad. He was so wise, and he was always ready to share some of his insight and discernment and wisdom. And I looked forward to hearing what he said when I was in some kind of mess, a struggle, or had questions. He was my first call. Well, the first call for these men was Huldah. Well, who is Huldah? Well, Huldah was a well-known woman in the kingdom of Judah because it says that the king sent her five of his personal messengers with the book of the law. 
the men who went to question her needed some guidance. They needed direction because they knew they had not complied with the law. They, they had disobeyed it, and they did not know what to do. It doesn't say much in this verse about her, but at the same time, it says a lot. It says, first of all, she was the wife of Shalom, who was in charge of keeping the royal clothing safe. This means that she lived close to the palace, and her husband was part of the royal court. It also says she lived in the new quarter of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was separated into four quadrants, and she lived in that second one, and that is where the temple was also located. So that's how important she was. She, she was uh, in the, the royal group, wasn't she? Do you know that even one of the gates of Jerusalem is named after her? She lived both close to the palace and to the temple. And so they took this book of law to her. And here is what she said to them. This is in verse 15. She said to them, the Lord, the God of Israel has spoken. Well, here she is confirming that this scroll is the word of God. Now, notice what she does next in telling them what to do. Go back and tell. Go back and tell the man who sent you that this is what the Lord says. Now, here, what we're going to listen to is her prophecy of God's words. And so here she is saying what God is saying through her to these messengers. I am going to bring disaster on this city and its people. All the words written in the scroll that the king of Judah has read will come true. For my people have abandoned me and offered sacrifices to pagan gods, and I am very angry with them for everything they have done. My anger will burn against this place, and it will not be quenched. Well, first of all, she confirms that this is God's word. And then she tells them of God's anger to all of those who have abandoned him. She says disaster is going to strike the nation because they have forgotten God and instead have worshipped idols. So she, she speaks God's words because that's what the prophet did. They pray and talk to God and get the word of God delivered to them. That's what happened during those days. And then she goes back and reports it to whomever that God has asked her to share it with. Now, what we see next is she goes on and once again, she is going to tell them to go to the king. But go to the king of Judah who sent you to seek the Lord and tell him this. This is what the Lord God of Israel says concerning the message you have just heard. And then she speaks God's words again. You were sorry and humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I said against his city and its people, that this land would be cursed and become desolate. You tore your clothing in despair and wept before me in repentance. And I have indeed heard you, says the Lord. So I will not send the promised disaster until after you have died and been buried in peace. You will not see the disaster I am going to bring on this city. So she tells the messengers to report to Josiah her prophecy and of what jo Josiah um, had done that is going to find, help him to find great favor in God. She says God's going to recognize that Josiah was sorry and he went humbly before the Lord. She noted that Josiah was fully grieved and he wept in repentance. And as a result, 
She says in this prophecy, Josiah is going to be to rest assured that the final judgment of Judah and of Judah and Jerusalem will not come during Josiah's reign. Well, now when you're handed this kind of information and you have received prophecy from the Lord God, you've read the scripture, then you have a choice about what you're going to do, as we always do. When we have information in front of us, given to us, then we need to decide, are we going to sit on that information? Are we going to be passive and ignore it? Uh, Or are we going to go into action? Well, Josiah went into action. When the king heard the message from the Lord that came through Huldah, he called a meeting. (laughs) Isn't that just like a good church person? He called a meeting with all of Judah. He went to the temple with everyone who lived in Jerusalem, all the people and all the priests, to read the covenant in front of the people. He read in a loud voice that the book of the law was found in the temple of the Lord, and he made a new covenant. He promised to obey the law and all of God's commands. With all his heart and soul, he vows to comply with what was in this book. And the people also made this covenant. This was not just a promise of words. They went into action. Do you know they destroyed and burned all of the idols? King Josiah ordered that all the priests of Judah be transferred to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. In the end, he eradicated the idolatry that had been there. Uh, So he tore down all of those idols, uh, whether it was Baal or Malok and any of the other gods that they were worshiping. He brought many religious reforms. He got rid of the mediums and the psychics and the household gods and idols. He moved the Asherah pole from the temple. He removed the sun statues in front of the temple, and he began the repair of God's house. One of the most notable acts by this king was his leading the people to celebrate Passover once again. King Josiah was a God-fearing man and proved his respect, his love, and his admiration for God by going into action. He also showed that he respected the prophetess Huldah. He believed her. She had transmitted the word of God. She had prophesied what God was going to do. This woman was very close. Huldah was very close to the king's court in the temple. And she was known as a devoted, respectable, and well-known woman. She had an important share in the great spiritual revival of the Jewish people under the reign of King Josiah. It was through her prophecy and her influence that that helped to bring about the change of Judah. Her, her prophecy came true. King Josiah still served another 13 years. He reigned for 31 years. At the end of that uh, is when, uh, once again, Judah began to fall by the wayside and God brought destruction just as he said. Both Huldah and Josiah played important critical roles in the change of Judah. Huldah, remember, confirmed the word of God. She prophesied what God's word said. She told Josiah what God would do to those who do not follow him. 
And for Josiah's part, he read the word. He listened to the wisdom and he acted on it. Both of them applied God's word to their lives. We are called to follow this same pattern. We are all called to read God's word, to study God's word, to internalize it, to live it, and to act on it. This call, whether it was for Huldah and Josiah or for us, has two parts. There is an internal response and there is an external response. Our internal response is the heartfelt desire and intellectual decision to act on God's word. Our external action is the fulfillment of that desire and decision. It's where we actually do something. Are we faithful to that call to have both an internal and external response to the word of God? Or are we just reading the words? See, we need to go beyond reading. We go beyond it by internalizing it. We study it. We think about it. We let it become a part of our lives inside. And then that is the call to action, to actually do what it says and to live by the principles found in it. That's what it takes to make a difference in our lives and in the lives of others, as did Huldah and Josiah. Let's learn a little bit more about Huldah, who's only mentioned in a very few verses in the Bible. So she was known uh, for her beautiful spiritual perspective. Uh, she was a prophetess. She was really wise. And notice she spoke in such direct terms. She was decisive. She was assertive. She affirmed the truth that this scroll was the word of God because she said the Lord has spoken. And then look how assertive she was and direct she was when she told the messengers, go back and tell. Go back and tell. She prophesied and then gave a call to action that resulted in further action. But why Huldah? Are you curious about them going to a woman in this male-dominated culture? Do you find that interesting? Well, according to Jewish tradition, Huldah and the prophet Jeremiah both had descended from Rahab. There was no evidence that Jeremiah pitched a man fit about being slighted or that it was unusual about consulting Huldah over a man. When she confirmed that Hilkiah had found the long-lost Torah, Huldah became the first person to confirm a written book of Scripture. She was the first person to confirm that this is the written book of God. Well, let's dig into Josiah's upbringing a little bit more to see, once again, why choose Huldah a woman? Well, to understand that, let's dig into his background. Josiah's father was Amon, and he worshiped other gods. But his wife, Josiah's mother, was Jedidah, and she wanted a good king. She wanted to have a king who would rebuild the temple uh, through the influence of people who were around Josiah. 
her influence and the influence of the priest and other worshipers at the temple. Does this sound familiar? Haven't we heard that theme in the other stories that involve children? That it takes often an entire village of people influencing children in godly ways. Now, we know that his mother had a, a vital role in his life as an influencer for godly ways. We could infer that King Josiah had looked toward his mother for guidance since he began reigning as king during his childhood. He looked toward his mother instead of all the other uh, worldly palace people who were surrounding him. Once again, we see the importance of influence in the life of a child. We saw that with the midwives Shifra and Pua and in the story of Jehoshaphat. Josiah's mother had a lot of influence on him. Maybe he felt more inclined to consult a woman than a man because he could trust these women he had, he had known about. We see that uh, she said in her message, this is what the Lord says. Huldah was proclaiming that God has said this. She gave him such good, sound wisdom. She did not try to make an interpretation. She simply spoke what God says. Um, You know, isn't that a contrast in what the world tells us? Uh, the, the world tells us all kinds of things to do and to, to think, to believe. But Shifra spoke godly wisdom into him, and uh, he accepted that. He didn't think twice about it from what the scripture says, and he didn't feel as if any of that needed to be confirmed by a man. How can we be more like Huldah? Let's look at those, some of those characteristics. She was God-fearing. She was in relationship and communion with God. She shared his message. It doesn't matter who the person is or the status of of that person. A, a, A woman of God tells the message of God to whomever is willing to listen. How do we get this passion that Huldah had and Josiah had to share the word of God? Well, a simple first step is to allow ourselves to be captivated by persons in Scripture who exemplify the power of Scripture and then make a course correction as needed. That is what we're doing in this study. We are becoming captivated by the persons, by the women in Scripture. These women exemplify the power of God in their lives, the power of the Word of God in their lives. And they made a a course correction as needed. This is what we might need to do. We're learning so much from these women who knew God, who knew his word, and who acted on it. And that is what Josiah did. Josiah heard the word, and he made a course correction, didn't he? He said, we're going in the wrong direction. We're going to be judged for it. Therefore, we shall. And then he set into place a new pattern, a new way of life for Judah. The best testimony of his message is in his actions it's true for us. The best testimony of our message is in our actions. What we say and what we do and what we feel 
uh, and everything that we think need to be in lined, uh, lined up with the message of Scripture. Do we need a course correction in what we think and feel and say and do? Well, let's look at some of these bullet points about what Huldah actually did. First of all, Huldah paid attention to and practiced living God's Word. 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. To be good at something, we need to pay attention to it. We need to practice it and work on it. And it's the same with spiritual things. Huldah was tuned into God. She presented herself to God. She knew his word. She was trusted and relied on to give guidance to the king concerning a matter of grave importance. She handled the word of truth correctly. And when the time came for wisdom to be sought, she was called upon. And that leads us to our next bullet point. Huldah was ready with the answers. She didn't hesitate to share the word of God because she was already in tune with the Lord. When we spend time with God in his word and in prayer, our hearts are going to be close to his. And as a result, we can be ready to share with other people. Here's what Proverbs 25, 11 says, a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver the next point of her action is she Huldah was quick to speak for the Lord. Remember, she said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. She didn't share her opinion, give her ideas about the situation. She just shared the word of God. She was wise and she was not foolish with her words. As we are reminded in Proverbs 18, verse 2, a fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. Our next point is Huldah didn't hesitate to share a difficult truth. I know sometimes we dread difficult conversations. Some of them might be about controversies. It could be about something political or something in our culture. And we don't want to seem intolerant. But Christians need to speak the truth in love. That's a commandment we find in Ephesians 4, verse 15. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Many times that may mean that we have a need to share a difficult truth, but we do it in a gentle, kind, and inoffensive way. Uh, From a practical uh, standpoint, we know that difficult things are best heard when our defenses are not up. In a loving, non-threatening environment, hard truths are more readily received. And Huldah lived a, what I'm calling, a go-and-tell life. 
She felt a sense of urgency to get the confirmation of God's word and the prophecy to Josiah. She was eager to do it. How eager are we to go and tell the good news? Mark 16, 15 tells us this, and then he told them, him being Jesus, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Huldah spoke directly to the point. She said, disaster is about to strike. The people had abandoned God and turned to the worship of other idols and gods. They could not escape destruction. They would be punished for abandoning God. Speak the direct truth. Get to the point. Ephesians 4.25 says, Let us tell our neighbors the truth. We are all parts of the same body. Speak the truth. Speak it in love. And then Hulda had a biblical world view. She prophesied from the perspective of the scripture and not the culture. Are we doing that today? Are we looking at what scripture tells us is true? Or are we listening to arguments that are from a worldview, but not a biblical worldview? Do we know and live God's word? Do we reflect a biblical worldview? Let's look at what that means. A worldview refers to a comprehensive conception of the world from a specific standpoint. Now, a Christian worldview is a comprehensive conception of the world from a Christian standpoint. Your worldview is the basis for making daily decisions. So it's very important. Every worldview, whether it's Christian or non-Christian, deals with at least these three questions. Number one, where did we come from and why are we here? Number two, what is wrong with the world Do we say that? I say it all the time. What is wrong with the world today? Something's wrong. And number three, how can we fix it? Well, a Christian worldview answers the three questions biblically. First of all, we are God's creation, designed to govern the world and to fellowship with him. Number two, and the question is, what's wrong with the world? Well, no, it's that we sinned against God and subjected the whole world to a curse. See, we're in a fallen world. So that's why you look around and see things that fall apart. And there is death and destruction and mayhem and chaos because we're in a broken world, because the world has sinned against God. And so we're subjected to this curse. Now, God came to redeem, sent his son Jesus to redeem the world, and he will have the victory in the end. But in the time being, we're in a broken and fallen world and bad things will continue to happen. Number three, how can we fix it? God himself has redeemed the world through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, and will one day restore creation to its former perfect state. A Christian worldview leads us to believe in moral absolutes, miracles, human dignity, and the possibility of redemption. It's so important to remember that a worldview is comprehensive. It affects every area of life, from money to morality, from politics to art. 
true Christianity is more than just a set of ideas to use at church. It affects every part of our life. The study by the Cultural Research Center is very revealing about Americans and their proclamation to be Christians and their actual living a biblical worldview. So this survey of 2,000 adults presented various principles for living. The applicant then selected the ones that reflected their beliefs. The largest segment of the survey are individuals who call themselves Christians. So it's self-identify. You self-identify who are you. And that was 69% of the 2,000 people. A large share of this group did or does embrace biblical principles and truths. And here are some of them. They have a unique God-given calling. They intentionally try to avoid sinning because they know it hurts God. Every moral choice either honors or dishonors God. The universe was designed and created and is sustained by God. And then another point that that they acknowledged was God is the all-knowing, all-powerful, perfect, and just creator of the universe who still rules the universe today. However, this group, who self-identified as Christian, this 69%, also had a wide range of perspectives that are not in harmony with biblical teachings. The first one, people are basically good. Next, feelings, experience, or the input of friends and family is as the most entrusted source of moral guidance. Next, having faith matters more than which faith you pursue. All religious faiths are of equal value. If a person is good enough or does enough good things, they can earn their way to heaven. The next point, the Holy Spirit is not a real living being, but is merely a symbol of God's power, presence, or purity. This group said they believe in karma. And the next point, determining moral truth is up to each individual. There are no moral absolutes that apply to everyone all the time. These respondents who answered the survey that showed they were more likely to hold biblical-based views are labeled integrated disciples. So when they completed the survey and the, and the the those who were doing the survey looked at the answers those who answered according to biblical concepts things that were actually found in the bible biblical principles those who did that Um, at a high degree were called the integrated disciples. Now, here's what that means. Labeled integrated disciples for their demonstrated ability to assimilate their beliefs into their lifestyle. This group consistently, albeit imperfectly, comes closest to reflecting biblical principles into their opinions, 
beliefs, behaviors, and preferences. So they self-identified as Christian. However, when you dug down into the answers, if they clicked onto things that were a cultural view instead of a biblical view, then they were not then determined to be integrated disciples. Those who, for the most part, gave answers that coincide with with Scripture, biblical concepts from the Bible, were called integrated disciples because they were living it. Their beliefs and their lifestyle were consistent with Scripture. I want to live as an integrated disciple. I want my life to reflect biblical principles. Sadly, we find ourselves in a counterculture much the way Josiah and Huldah did. They too lived in a world that didn't recognize or live by the principles of God. Isn't it wonderful that they had Josiah as the king who made a course correction? While only fragments of biblical truth are embraced by the overwhelming majority of American adults, at least we have a starting point. Maybe a huge starting point in this room. We can build upon and teach and model principles that reflect a mature, consistent biblical worldview. And then we can do as Hulda did Pay attention to and practice the Word of God. Be ready with answers. Be quick to speak for God. Speak the hard truth. Speak directly to the point and to live a biblical worldview. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for what it tells us, what it inspires us to do, and Father, we, we say now that as followers of you, we want to live as you would have us to do, as a disciple, a full disciple of you, living out the principles that you teach us. And in doing so, we will, we will bring joy to the world. We will celebrate you, and we will have internal peace. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.